0: Ron and Anian. I wanna to talk to you first about talking more effectively to your mechanic because I think that's a problem for a great many of you. The Car Doctor. You've kind of got some headaches here. do oh, oh, you got an 07 Impala, an 05 Sierra, and an 08 yeah. Silverado, and you've got a big question. Is it why'd you buy American? No, no I'm only kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open, but I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines at 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service as we continue the march across this country of ours and around the world, I guess, with the power of the Internet now to fix all the broken cars. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call. Leave a message. If we're not here, we've got it arranged so that you can leave a message, and our producer, Tom Ray, will call you back and get you in the lineup for the next live show as uh, we, like I said, try to get you up here on radio to talk about your car problem and solve it for you. Cardoctorshow.com is the website, podcasting there. Also at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, all the good places, all the places you know you've been there. And uh, we appreciate you taking the podcast. If you're not a regular listener during live show hours, we understand, you know, we know you're busy. We know you've got a lot going on in your life. And we're grateful for you to consider taking us with you for whatever amount of time you spend with us each and every week. And please click subscribe if you can on your podcast page to uh, automatically have us appear because that tallies up on our numbers and um, it helps our business. And that's what this is about. To a degree, it is a business. And, um, you know, that's the money side of the big game that uh, in order to be here, we've got to account for it. So speaking of being here, Um, There's no other way to really do this. Um, It's become a time-honored tradition here on The Car Doctor each and every Memorial Day. And, um, you know, from a personal side, the next gentleman that we're going to have on for a conversation, he has been my uncle. Well, he's been my uncle for all 61 years that I'm here on the planet. And um, he's just been a great uncle and a great inspiration. And I've got to say he's more of an inspiration. Uh, You know, the older I get, the more I realize what he and his generation like him and those that have gone before him have accomplished and uh, given us. And uh, as they say, freedom isn't free. And uh, listening to him, you'll understand why. As we step out from being the car doctor, talking about fixing cars, and we talk about Memorial Day and all that that entails. Let's welcome aboard. First Lieutenant Stephen Ananian, 339th Fighter Group, Falmere, England. Uncle Steve, how are you today? God love you.
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, sir. I'm really doing well. And uh, glad to be here with you talking about, once again, Memorial Day and what it's all about. Maybe I thought we'd coax a little, a couple of stories out of you, as I'm sure you have them. Um, you know, Memorial Day, Uncle Steve, I I think it's important. You know, this is the weekend everybody around goes around saying, hey, have a happy Memorial Day. That's really not correct, is it?
1: No, no. It's uh, it's a day we uh, contemplate all our bodies and all the things that uh, we went through. But uh, you said something that (laughs) made me chuckle. And um, I don't know if you know it, but uh, I have great-grandchildren now. And my great-grandchildren asked me, Grandpa, what did you do during the war? And I used to tell them, Well, I climb into my Rolls Royce about 5 o'clock in the morning, fly over Germany and chase a bunch of germs in the full (laughs) squaggers. But uh, that's, uh, in effect, what it was.
0: Well, you know, as they get older, Uncle Steve, the older they get, the smarter you will become. Uh, you know, because that's that's really how it works, because I think uh, for your great-grandchildren at their age, they, they, they it, it's hard to comprehend. I mean, listen, I'm 61. It's hard for me to comprehend what your generation and what all the generations that march off to war do, uh, you know, to put it
1: all on the line. And- oh, well, you, you know, you, you just said it that it's hard for anybody, no matter whether they were in a war or not, unless you... You don't know what it's like unless you fly over feel field and shoot. You have the flak coming up at you. Now, this isn't a picture. This is a bunch of uh, steel being flowed, thrown up here from the ground. And, boy, when you fly over that, everything in your body puckers up, you know. Right. Even the hair follicles on your arms collapse because you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. And... uh yeah it it's it's a it's a different feeling and uh, uh i'm very fortunate you know we we still uh have our reunions uh in fact i think we're the only world war II outfit that still uh, meets every year and we have our reunions uh, this year we'll be in uh, uh, uh milwaukee and uh, uh we will have an air show we would have a couple of P-51s, a couple of PT-17s, and uh, the fellows would come up and do aerobatics. Last year, I flew in a backseat of a P-51 again, which was a thrill.
0: Yeah, what was that What was that like, to be back in a Oh, uh, yeah. That, that, that
1: was at the World War II Museum in New Orleans. They invited me down there to have a, a World War II air show Every year, about September or October, and I was invited down there, and uh, they uh, invited me to sit in the back seat of a P-51, and yeah. uh, we did a couple of slow rolls, and yeah. that was nice, yeah. hanging by your seat. Like, yeah. it, and,
0: and I'm sure uh, you wanted to grab the stick.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, the only thing is, they didn't have one. Right. One for I guess.
0: Right. Right. I'm sure you wanted to. I remember a couple of years ago you were back up here in North Jersey down at uh, Teterboro Airport when they had the, you know, uh, B-17 there. Yes, and and yes. um, they realized you know you had flown, and they took you up into the cockpit, and you were explaining the cockpit to them, and it was it was it was a great conversational exchange about you know from from old to new, so to speak, about here's how this plane worked and here's what it did, and they listened very very intently to each and every word as you dispensed well, it.
1: You know, you were talking about the mechanics and uh, you know uh, airplanes when we were your age, uh, you know, World War Two. When we were uh, 20 years old, we all know about cars, you know. Uh, when I flew in combat, uh, the three months before I went into combat, I flew photo reconnaissance, and I flew practically Every airplane you could imagine, every plane but the P-51. When I got into combat, I had one hour flying time in the P-51, and that's when I got hit uh, by anti-aircraft fire and had a bail out into the North Sea. So- and I flew that airplane, which they say you can't fly more than five minutes without oil. Well, I flew it for 45, 45 minutes, losing oil away. And uh, my buddy, who was escorting me, he saw me violently rocking the wings. He says, What are you doing? I said, I'm lubricating the engine. I was trying to get the oil from the sump upon the uh engine wall sidewalls. So that it, you know and it worked. I mean right. uh Yeah. So when so, you uh, when you
0: went on that first combat mission you had one hour of flying time and off you went.
1: Yeah. And, wow. well the result was we did survive because of my ability to handle the airplane and uh, I was in the water for an hour and a half. Right. In the uh, freezing water. The week before, we lost one pilot. He was down in that water for six minutes, and he said it's to come to the uh, uh, cold uh, temperatures. The, well, but I was able to survive because when I got into the water, I just did nothing but exercise, move my arms and legs, and kept going and that's what kept me
0: going. How did you have the forethought, Uncle Steve? I mean my gosh, you're you're 1920 years old. Your first combat mission, you've been shot down, you're in the English Channel, freezing cold. There's 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 high seas, right? What was it 10-foot seas? They weren't going to send out yeah, any yeah, air sea yeah. rescue. And here you are hanging onto a donut like a mouse onto a life preserver like a mouse hanging onto a donut. And and you know what what was going through your mind at that moment?
1: <laughs> I was praying. You never heard a guy who plays so hard in his life. Yeah. But uh, what the the other part of that story is well, I was rescued by an air-sea rescue flying boat. The the pilot saw uh, what my situation was, and he knew I couldn't survive. And so even though it was 10-foot seas, he landed his airplane on that water, came over, they pulled me up to the side of the plane. They couldn't put me into the airplane because I was so waterlogged. And then a sleeper that was there in the area came over, and they took me aboard. And these guys, when they took off, they crashed the, the plane. Uh, the pontoon came off, and they had to be rescued themselves. So what I'm saying is, you know, everybody was risking their lives for each other, right? Without even thinking about it,
0: because that's the situation we were in. We had yeah. to do that,
1: and and this is this is what's wrong now. What we do is, when we have a war, we don't resolve it. We have a ceasefire. Everybody says, "Okay, it's over," but it's not.
0: Right. So what you're saying is, let's go finish it and get it over with.
1: So you, no, you have to go to the end. Yeah. Uh, my last vision I had. Of Berlin, were smoke coming up from the rubble up to 25,000 feet. Flames were up to 5,000 feet, and the uh, Berlin was nothing but a sea of rubble. And the only thing that you could see was it was a little valley, and that was where the subway, the uh, the uh, under the London. Had collapsed, and uh, you could see that, and and that was my vision that I still have to this day of Berlin
0: of, of that's how the of that's how we've got to finish it. Let's finish so it and get it what over yeah. is
1: when you had that kind of devastation, when the war was over, who is our who are our best friends now? The Germans,
0: right? Because they wanted us to rebuild them.
1: Well, because we went in, and after we defeated them, we helped their economy. And we uh, help them to grow.
0: Yep, yep. Uncle Steve, it's 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 you know, truer words are never spoken. We we enjoy you each and every year. I've got a minute left. What would you like to tell the listeners to, to remind them of what this weekend's about?
1: Well, just remember one thing: freedom is not free.
0: And someone made a sacrifice for us to be here today, and we should appreciate it. Yep. Absolutely. Uncle yep. Steve,
1: God love you. Keep you safe.
0: And uh, hey, we, hope, we hope to talk to you again next year, same it's time, same is, channel.
1: You're what, 26 years?
0: Yeah, uh, 26 years on radio. Yeah. Remember yeah, when I started? It just seems like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll have some stories of my own. Uncle Steve, I'll talk to you during the week, and you take good care of yourself.
1: Thank you, everybody. Take care. You're
0: welcome. Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're coming back right after this.
1: Hey, Ron and Annie in
0: the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Thanks for sticking around and, enjoying us with this, and joining with us this hour. And once again, thanks to Uncle Steve. You know, he's, he's 95 now. I, I, you know, and he still got it, um, uh, you know, sharp as a tack. God love him. He, um, uh, you know, and I never heard him describe Berlin like that. So I have to talk to him more because I think there's things inside of him that time is bringing out. You know, he um, he's just. Just, just amazing! What a generation that was, and all our troops. Not to minimize any of the efforts of any of them, uh, from current to the to the to the uh, you know the oldest. Uh, God love them, keep them safe. Let's get over to Dave in Maine. Some uh, comments and questions about yes. oil, oil, and oil conditioners. Hey, Dave, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
1: Yes, uh, I'm I'm calling to ask you about. Uh, Lucas Oil Conditioner and okay. z Oil Conditioner. Okay. Does it mix well with synthetic oils?
0: Well, let me ask you this: Whose synthetic oil is it?
1: Well, it, it might be something like Mobile One.
0: Okay. My feeling is that I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll answer your question like this, Dave. Years ago, we, when it was more conventional oil, where we were using you know five thirty, ten thirty conventional mix. We would put a bottle of STP, good old-fashioned STP, in that little blue bottle, into probably each and every oil change. I'm going back 10, 15 years.
1: going back quite a while. Yeah, and, you know,
0: then the industry started to really use more and more synthetic, where now synthetic is really the oil of choice. It's we're, we, we, we sell synthetic by, by requirement now probably two-thirds, if not more, during the course of the year. It's two-thirds, one-third instead of the other way around. The, the issue is synthetic oils by themselves are so well-engineered, all right, that I tend yep. to leave them alone. I don't put additives in a synthetic oil because the synthetic already has some form of an additive package in it. I'll speak from Penn's oil, all right? All oils start with a base stock. All right. And for the record, I think Penn's is a better oil than mobile one because I think they start with a better base stock. I really do. All right. They're using a natural gas derivative, which is a cleaner base stock oil to start from. And because well, of Royal Purple. Well, Royal Purple is a whole nother story. Tell me, tell me, you know, where Royal Purple is on engineering and development. And I think Royal Purple, in my mind, is more of a racing oil. I think that's always been their market as far as streetcars. Uh, if, yeah. if if Royal Purple was in such demand in my mind, then why aren't they more predominant in the everyday car market, so to speak? And I'm not that saying I'm true. not I'm not saying it's a bad oil. I'm just you know, based on what I see. Sometimes when you go to the supermarket, you always buy if you don't know what you want to buy what brand. You always buy the brand that's being used the most. More people are using Penn's oil than Mobile One and Royal Purple, from what I'm seeing, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, and my point is that the engineering that goes into these oils, such as Pennzoil, the synthetic and the way they come up with it, and the the engineering and the studies and the data that supports it, I don't believe you need to put an additive in on an everyday driving application. That being said, if your vehicle has a specific problem and you're thinking, well, this additive is going to cure that, that's a different conversation. And I've seen some of the things that Lucas has where they'll have seal restorers or stop smoke, and, you know, now we're into a different conversation. We're not using the additive to help promote the life of the engine as much as to try and fix something that we don't want to take the engine apart for to fix. Does that make
1: sense? What I'm looking at is most, you know, I'm thinking the synthetic oil or the oil conditioners might cut down on the friction that's in the engine and stop and go driving. Nah, you know what I'm talking
0: about. I don't think it's I don't think it's going to matter because if it's if it's going to matter, I'll, I'll answer your question this way. All right, uh, you're concerned about friction and wearing out the engines. Yes. It 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 still comes down to here. Well, I'll answer it like this: We pour synthetic at the shop all the time. We pour a house brand synthetic. We pour a Pennzoil synthetic, and we pour a few others. All right. Regardless of what we pour. Okay, and it depends on what we pour as far as what oil change interval we'll put somebody on. But we haven't lost an engine yet. As a result of that synthetic, usually the engine will outlast the car to the 250,000, 300,000-mile mark. I don't see where an additive, because you think so, will make that much of a difference. I talk to the oil manufacturer and get some specifics from them before you start making changes. Good luck to you, Dave. I appreciate the call. Ron and The Car Doctor, we're back right after this. Back. We're on the the car Doctor eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero 560 dot com for more information and tunein.com dot com. And by the way, where did I put that piece of paper for all my brothers? I wanted to, I had a couple of questions. People were writing in. Talking about, yeah, coming up, it's this Wednesday. I had a couple of emails about this. They wanted more information. So if you're in New Jersey and you're looking for some Chrysler information, there's an all-new Chrysler training seminar coming up from the folks from ATG, Automotive Training Group. Uh, More information at AutomotiveTrainingGroup.com. But at the Hotel Woodbridge, 120 Wood Ave in 120 Wood Ave South on Island, New Jersey. There's a Chrysler training class. Two nights, uh, four and a half, five hours a night. All the latest Chrysler information if you're looking for drivability and uh, code clearing and code solving information. That's the place to be this Wednesday, the 31st. And June 1st, um, if you're in the New Jersey area, I will be there both nights taking the class myself and um, looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, it's what we got to go through, guys. It's part of the business. Let's get over to Dave in Wisconsin with a 2011 Ford F-150. And some problems there. To, uh, how this engine's running, Dave? How can I help?
2: Well, no, first, thank you for taking my call, especially on a you know holiday weekend. You're
0: welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So what can I do for you?
2: Um, it's a bit of a story here. I got a about a 2011 Ford F-150 uh, EcoBoost 3.5 liter, December 15th. Um, had one owner, uh, but got it from a dealership that they're they have the same name, but they're owned by two different people and they played them the, the middleman um they brought the vehicle up for me to you know take it for a test drive and whatnot um drove it it had a little drivability issues um they put in writing that they would take care of it and then for the next two months they had it longer than i did by far um it it would it, it would it died out um that You know, when he'd come up to the light, it would chug out and die. Um, Then the idle would come up a bit. Um, It would end up with uh, going up a ramp, you'd end up with a a terrible loss of power. Uh, You know, you could put the pedal to the floor and you weren't getting anything more than 55 out of it, not 50 miles an hour. Um, It was an intermittent problem. Brought it back to them. Um, They dove into it for about 15 hours. Uh, Couldn't figure anything out. Had me take it to a Ford dealership. Uh, They looked at it for about seven hours. um, Found a cracked spark plug and some wires. Uh, I know a little bit about vehicles. I told them that it's got to be more than that. Uh, They changed that. uh, Two days later, still same problem. Um, Took it back to the original dealership. They said, take it back to Ford. Um, They came up with... Uh, both wastegates on the turbo. The turbos were stuck open, so they went ahead and changed both turbos. They have looked in the throttle position sensor. Uh, uh, They claimed a a typical EcoBoost problem with the multiple-cylinder misfire, yet it would throw a code, and then sometimes you'd have it, and it wouldn't throw a code. Um, They went through... It, it, then they it got through everything. It ran okay. It's an intermittent thing. Um, after the turbos, it ran good for a few days. I started having, coming up to a light, it will drop down into the way low hundreds just, just right before it's going to die out um, and then come back up again, which then it also has a hesitation when I go to start off. and it's When it's running good, no problems. When it's acting up, that's good luck right? on all this. Yeah. Right. And it's good luck. You know, it's uh, they'll you know, you bring it in, it's going to run fine. Um, I had the, had the mechanic actually, uh, tell the service guy, you know, we'll tell him maybe he's not used to having a newer vehicle. And I tell you what, my, my roommate has a one year newer. And while my truck was in the shop with them for so long, I went and test drove a bunch of these and it's, there's no comparison to right. what I'm dealing with. Right. And uh, I did 70,000 miles on when I got it. Um, they did, uh, the, whatever, uh, so to say, flash the computer because they said, you know, it learned the previous driver. He was a retired guy. I don't ever got on it much and I, I, whatnot.
0: I, I think you've got some serious problems with this truck, Dave. and I And I say that in all seriousness. I don't think this is... I don't think this doesn't sound like a cracked spark plug. This doesn't sound like a relearn. This doesn't sound, you, you know.
2: But let, doesn't let, sound like a turbo thing, right? <laughs>
0: right. You know, it doesn't sound like it's just a turbo thing. There's, there's, there's more going on here than meets the eye. So I've got a couple of questions and 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 you know, some observations. Was this vehicle? Do you think this vehicle was ever in an accident?
2: No, no, but I know that Carfax aren't always, you know, telling the truth, you never know what people hide. But, uh, no, I I know some. I know a lot of people in the industry and uh, had a really knowledgeable uh, lead body guy for a very reputable dealership around here look at it. And, right. you know, he's seen he nothing. And, I, you know, the gentleman before me, you know, he's just a retired guy. You know, he there was nothing there either. And where, where I'm at right now is there's still... I mean, I appreciate what they're doing. They're certainly standing behind it with labor and parts. Right now, they're at about thirteen thousand dollars into this vehicle, and they're still standing behind it. What I what I'm currently having is is when you when you start it up, it's more when it's cold. But the, it just the idle is not right. I mean, it, it jumps down, it jumps up, and it just it doesn't die now. But it is so close right. to, to broken out, and mm. they, they're still willing to stand behind it. But it's not throwing any codes and it was very intermittent when it had all these problems that they have fixed with throwing codes. And I'm just a little hesitant about them saying they stand behind it, they put it in writing stand behind it, but you know, how long before I end up with a code, how much time is gonna pass before it does rear its ugly head and right. okay, now we're you know now they see it and now we're not willing to stand behind so, it because of all the time that passed.
0: So you just walked into the emergency room. You didn't feel good on Tuesday. You're, you're feeling okay today, but you're not quite right. So I'm the doctor, and I've got to know what's going on, right? Same same kind of a scenario. There's something up, but I can't really put my finger on it because you're not you're just not right. Uh, I'm going to run a battery of tests. And in the case of the car, um, I'm going to start to look at all critical grounds. Um, I'm going to make sure – and, I mean, some of this might be redundant, and some of this sounds real basic and simple – But solving hard problems, in order to solve hard problems, I've got to eliminate the obvious. I've got to eliminate what's good. And if I eliminate all that's good, eventually I'll find what's bad. And, and that's, that's one way to approach something like this. What, what you're describing to me is in the back of my mind, and not to be emotional about it, but sounds like a vehicle with a bad ground, frayed wires, broken ground, poor connection, something along those lines. So I'm going to start to look at some of the critical pieces of the wiring harness, some of the main engine grounds. I'm going to voltage drop everything and, and just try and go through them. You know, maybe I'll come back and say, hey, Dave, I know it's not this, but I can take that off the list. OK, second thing I want to do is I'd like to look at mode six and we lean a lot on mode six. And what it is in English is mode six is the reference that the computer uses to know when it's broken. All right. You, you, you ever think about what makes a check engine light come on and you can say, well, the car is broken. But how does the car know it's broken? All right. It's, it's the same way that a desktop computer gives you the blue screen of death and it tells you that the checksum error is this or it's out of volatile memory or some such because it runs a self-test. Car computers, desktop computers, they're always running self-tests on their electronics. When they see a, a problem reach a threshold, bingo, and the check engine light turns on. Or in the case of the desktop computer, blue screen of death and the desk and the computer shuts off. In your case... I'd want to go into Mode 6, which any decent scan tool will have, and give me the ability to look at things like, what's the misfire rate? Is it reporting any misfires? Is it reporting any issues in any areas of fuel trim? What's it losing here? All right? It's losing something to make the idle surge like that. Has, Has anybody thought about the possibility of a defective processor? That's the third thing on my mind. You know, whenever I get a vehicle that's haunted, I start thinking about computers because there's almost no way to test it um, except for powers and grounds. And then maybe I'll create a problem. Has anybody tried to create a false code? You know, unplug the mass airflow sensor. The truck will die or the truck will run funny. Does the computer recognize that? If the computer can't recognize a condition that I created, guess what? I'm waiting around for a code to set from something that's broken in the first place.
2: Yeah, that's you, know, you you mentioned that when I was when they got when I got it back and it was still idle and messed up, I actually took a couple wires off and I I didn't get a code to throw. And
0: kinda interesting, right?
2: It should yeah, it should it should have something. Right. And and that's a very you know, it's a very intermittent thing there. When you when you talk about, you know, uh, the threshold, you know, can uh could it I don't know what you know fully what thresholds are Pilo whatever if well, could this be doing something where it's just not quite hitting that threshold Sure absolutely, abs-
0: absolutely. Here so a misfire threshold a misfire threshold might be 64270 So the computer will record 64269 it won't set a code It gets to 70 bang the light comes on but it's got to go 64,269 misfires before it sets the fall. True. All right. So, you know, whatever the number is now, yeah. you know, and I can't prove this. And, you know, I don't want anybody to really think I'm being negative against car companies. But I often wonder, do they set thresholds higher on certain cars? Because that way they see less check engine lights and we sell more cars because our cars never break. We never have check engine light issues. Think True. about it, you know.
2: Yeah. so but, um' i yeah, i started to kind of got you know to the yeah, out of the point to where it's it wouldn't when the mechanic's telling me that maybe I'm just not used to it, and I go out and test drive a bunch, of, it, it, nah, it, you got, none of them idle quite that way. It's just not right. You
0: got <laughs> you, you got the wrong mechanic. Listen, I got to go. The clock's going to take me, but do me a favor yep. and, you know, stay in touch with us. Let us know what they find. Ask them about Mode 6. I would take it to a Ford dealer and have them go through it piece by piece if it's still under warranty. Let them resolve it and get back to us and let us know what the end result is. And uh, if you get stuck again, we'll be glad to do what we can for you from our end. Hey, 855 We're coming right back right after this. Don't go away. Dead Man's Curve. Hey, Ron and Annie the Car Doctor. 855 560 9900. Hey, like that. I almost hit that mark. Is the show over yet? Whew, Ten minutes to go. Let's go over and talk to Ashley in North Carolina, 99 Chevy Suburban. Ashley, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help?
1: Hey, thanks, Ron. you for welcome. taking my call. You're
0: welcome, sir. What's going on?
1: I got a 99 Suburban, uh, the Classic, that I bought back in February, and ever since I've bought, ever since I've had it, every time I fill up with gas, I got a, I can smell it inside the cab, okay. and it'll, and it goes away when it gets to about three quarters of a tank. All I right. have checked all my lines, and, you know, the vents and everything, and everything seems to be okay, and. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe you could help me.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I would think you've got a leak somewhere, all right, obviously. Uh, this should be a metal gas tank, or is this plastic? It's metal. It's metal. So what makes you think that you'd—and and, well, and here's the weird part, all right? I'm going to contradict myself. You would, yeah. you would think that if it had a leaky gas tank, it would set an EVAP fault code. You know, it would it would it would show a leak of 20,000th or less or whatever the number is going to be. But it, you would think it'd be sitting a four four two or four fifty six or something. Uh, but that being said, um, you know if you have access, if you got a buddy with a repair shop, maybe with a smoke machine, I'd okay. love I'd love to plug into the neck, go in through the top of the fuel tank neck, and smoke it. Does it does hmm. it does it continue to smoke? Does it does it does the ball drop? Does it continue to show flow? all right and what uh-huh. I'm trying what I'm trying to do and I would do that with half a tank of fuel or less. what I'm trying to do so you don't have to drop the tank to look at the top of it is eliminate good all right if okay. y- if you get the smoke to stop smoking or stop flowing um, and you're smoking the tank and it's coming out and you're gonna have to plug the vent line, then you know it's not the tank. Then let's focus on the canister. Do we have a canister problem? Did the person before you continually pack the tank? Did, it, did, they, did they shut off the tank, you know, when the pump clicked? Did they round it off to the nearest dollar? and Or did they try to squeeze another yeah. $2 in it? And that, that has now spilled over into the canister, and the canister is so saturated that it just can't, uh-huh. it can't hold anymore. So then we get into the conversation, do we pull the canister down? Listen, sometimes weighing the canister, get a new canister, weigh it, get an old canister, weigh it, see what the difference is. If it's extreme, maybe that canister is loaded. I've yeah. also I've also seen cases where we've got a, a problem with the vent. The vent isn't working correctly. Again, we should see a fault code. You would think, but just be mindful. Do we? Could we have a vent canister area related problem? Last thought, even though I don't think this is it, just check the fuel pressure regulator. They're very common to fail. Ninety nine two thousands that model year that series. But you would be telling me you smelled fuel all the time, not just after a fill up. All right, so go do those things. I'm up against the clock this segment, Ashley. And if you need more, give me a call back, and we'll go from there. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Hey, we're into the home stretch here, Ron and Amy, the car doctor. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Toll free, twenty four seven. Cardoctorshow.com. Get out there, get some podcasts, and uh, click subscribe at iTunes and iHeart. We appreciate it. Reading the want ads, you know what, sometimes you're bored, you need a good laugh. You ever, not the want ads, but the uh, new car ads and used car ads. I found a 2012, listen to this, a 2012 Subaru Forester Limited, moonroof leather, with a VIN, with a you know, stock number, all-wheel drive, auto, four-cylinder boxer engine. I got to tell you, all Subarus are boxer engines. That's nothing to advertise. I don't understand why that's such a big deal. Electronic stability control, power windows, locks, mirrors, tilt. 96,192 miles. 100,000 mile, five-year-old Subaru. You want to know what the asking price for this car is? $13,886. This is this, is this week's paper. We're asking fourteen dollars for a five-year-old car with 100,000 miles on it. A... Does that mean that it's more worthwhile to fix the 100,000-mile car you've got that needs three to $5,000 worth of work and continue to drive that because you know the history on it? Or B, are these guys just flat out out of their mind? On that note, then there's an article in the paper today, Off-Lease Cars Shift Market, Detroit. In 2014, Infinity leased more than 28,000 Q50 sedans. Blah 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 blah. Now they're talking about there's a glut of lease vehicles coming off lease in the marketplace. That means that there's more used cars for people to buy than they previously thought. But yet we're asking fourteen thousand dollars for a car that, in my opinion, is overpriced and overvalued. I don't get it. Be careful when you go out there car shopping this weekend, folks. It's Memorial Day, and um, just uh, just be careful. Running any of the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.